Welcome to the Cannabis Connection. I'm Christopher Carr. Welcome to Santa Cruz Cannabis Talk Radio. Honored. Very excited to have our guest on tonight. This is JJ from NYC of Top Dog Seeds. Very important discussion we have in store for you. Learning about the roots. Going back to strictly roots. The roots of chem of, of underdog the 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 haze the piff understanding these these stories behind the east coast cannabis scene the ca- cannabis culture of today and the building blocks that brought the legends of tomorrow welcome to the cannabis connection yes how you doing man I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. Welcome to the show. Where Where are you in the world tonight for our audience? I am in Denver, Colorado. There you go. That's a good place to be. What's up and What's going on in Denver? Um, I'm just living here, enjoying life, uh, working, fishing. Um, yeah, just just living. Living the dream, man. Yeah, I saw some really cool. Um, I think you just did a a show last week, and there's a big old picture of you with some fish. That's awesome. You're out there fishing in the in God's country. I love it out there. Yeah, like you said, living the dream. I mean, where else could you go and have world class fishing, legal cannabis? Well, and that's yeah, that's the thing. It's all legal. I, I do want to hear a bit. I mean, we're we're in an era where the next generation won't ever know prohibition. And you, uh, you know, breeders of the award-winning medical connoisseur cultivars of the Star Dog, Guava, White Dog, Tray Dog, Nigerian Haze, African Haze, the O the O N Y C D Sour Dog, and the I ninety five. These are really important uh, cultivars, and and it came out of necessity in a, t- in a different time. You've kind of in your lifetime, um, you know, you've lived this interesting, amazing transitional evolution of of cannabis culture in America. I know you've come out to California. You're living in Denver, but your roots are back east, and that's kind of the hope for our conversation is to learn, you know, from someone that lived it, the roots of um, a lot of these key things. And uh, also, you know, as a lover of music and and musician myself, too, the the role that, um, you know, the culture, uh, the Grateful Dead specifically, you know, these these things that bring us together, like the herb, you know, continues to to be a very international herb and, and a source of uh, connection and, and key relationships with key people that help create these these cultivars. And um, I would love to start and maybe, you know, jump to, um, you know, back in your, your high school days and how this, uh, well, maybe before high school, but, you know, specifically, you know, how did cannabis come into your life and um, and a little bit about, you know, the... The culture back in that day well uh, the first time I smoked I was probably about 13 years old and uh, my neighbor and I used to go shoveling snow and it had snowed that day and um, we had no school so you know we uh, were on our way to shovel some snow to make some money and we cut through the woods and And he pulled out a joint. He had some older brothers, and he must have gotten a joint from them. And he he lit it up, and we we smoked it. And then we went to go uh, shovel some snow, and we just got, like, so high. And we were were just so kind of goofy and everything that we couldn't finish the job. We we did about half the job, and we just bailed out and, um, and left. So that was my very first experience, and I was probably in about seventh grade. And maybe I had used it maybe one time after that. I remember we bought a nickel bag, and um, we smoked a couple bowls out of it. And we were down by the river, and and a bunch of these older kids started gathering there, starting to have this uh, beer party and stuff. And someone, you know, we had the weed on us, and someone was like, hey, does anyone have any weed? And my friend whipped out the bag, and the guy was like, I'll give you 15 bucks for that. And so we were like, wow, that's great, because there were three of us, and we all chipped in five for the $5 to buy the nickel bag, and we all we all got $5 
and we got to smoke for free. So we thought that was really <laughs> great. And back then, but really, <laughs> but, but really after that, I didn't really do too much until uh, really with cannabis, you know, in seventh and eighth grade. That was, you know, two of my most memorable um, experiences. But I didn't really start using regularly until I reached high school. Yeah, and that was so. And that you know, those days were these imports, and this is key, like. Uh, the eras, right? There's the pre-Ronald Reagan era where we had um, Mexican and Colombian, but but there were levels to it, and there were nicer, you know, varietals that were also coming from either Hawaii or, or Thai, real Thai stick, and and uh, and different colors, and 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 you know that was a, a very special time too, because that was this uh, this exposure. A lot of it was seeded, so you 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 did collect some genetics over time and in, in, in the early 80s like in that high school era too there was the um you know that connection to the city right in harlem and different varieties of, of variety you know of herb that we really don't have that exposure and the the experience of that herb is not quite it may be in land race cultivars but can you speak to that those specific varieties from different areas from all over the world and their effects the feelings yeah, and the era that you're talking about is the area era that I like to refer to as the Cheech and Chong era. Nice. You know, it's yeah. kind of kind of like all the things that you've kind of described. It was, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, and that's when I first uh, went into high school as a freshman. And, and you're right, you know, there was a lot of different, mostly Colombian, Mexican, brickweed, you know, we used to buy, um, you know, joints for a dollar. And that's how much, you know, and, and so, um, and, you know, half ounces would be like $20 and ounces would be $40. But the more expensive good weed that you're referring to, like the Hawaiians and the occasional hazes and, and, and the tie stick, most of that stuff was, uh, was $200 an ounce straight up. Which was a lot of money yeah, back then, yeah, you know, yeah. compared to, you know, you're, you're buying, you know, joints for a dollar and, and, and all that. And there used to be the different kind of hashes around. There was the, the, the blonde the Lebanese, the, um, the red Lebanese, and then the black Afghan who used to be around. Nice. And, and so, yeah, so, you know, during those high school years, probably one of the best um weeds that I had came across and there was really no there was no name to it and the janitor in my school was was selling it and my friend was buying it and he showed me and it was really it was really good weed and I think it was like it was like sixty dollars or fifty dollars an ounce it was like ten yeah, or twenty dollars a little more more dollars. But yeah. it was kind of like what you were describing. It was I called it rainbow weed because it was rainbow. like it was like light green and gold and red and all different colors. And you know, come to find out that the guy's brother lived in Harlem, and so I assumed always that that weed was coming from Harlem. And uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really know what it was. It had to been some type of high-end import, possibly a tie or you know something. And um, so that was probably one of the best, you know, first exotic weeds that I first came first came across. And and then later, in probably in about eighty two, you know, eighty two, eighty three, the first. Um, Sense a million bud came around. It was called, and it was really piney, um, and that used to be two hundred dollars an ounce, also. And uh, was that, that Mexico? To, was it Michoacan, or where, where was the Sense mm, come from? Yeah, I mean, when I look at some of the pictures, it looks like some of the old school West Coast um, bud. You know, yeah. could have been coming from uh, Northern Cali, possibly Oregon. Oh, wow. It was but, domestic. 
Yeah, I believe it was domestic for sure. It was definitely coming from Cali. I remember my friend, um, he was, you know, he was still in high school and he was a senior and I was a junior, but he was working part time as a janitor. And one of the guys that he was working with was getting this bud. So I remember, you know, paying, you know, $200 an ounce for it. And, you know, you'd be able to get, you know, maybe $10 a gram for it if you were lucky. So there wasn't really, you know, and people back then, too, didn't really want to pay that kind of money for 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 kind buds. So, um, yeah, um, but, you know, leading out of that, you know, I, you know, eventually made some uh, connections in, in, in the city myself. And so we were, we were going into the city and, um, probably 85, 86. And we were buying from some, uh, wholesalers in there and they would, you know, be getting, you know, imports, but, Mostly, they were getting the the Mexican, you know, uh, Mexican pillows. We'd call them. Nice. But they were like the they were the fluffy, uh, the, the fluffy mids. They weren't really the hard hard press ones. They were the soft press ones. So when you had the soft press ones, you know, when, when you pick them apart, you know, you'd get a whole pound to fill up a whole gallon bag. So that we call that a pillow. And so, and it was nice, you know, green, you know, it was, wasn't heavily seeded, you know, and it was, you know, kind of like little skunky, piney stuff. Was that the Pretendica or was that later? Well, that was in the same era, but that particular product was just a higher end product. Gotcha, gotcha. And that one would actually be... You know, almost, you know, some type of Afghani. Cause I remember it, it was very distinctive and it was very sticky and, um, very few seeds, you know, I mean, very few seeds. And so, I mean, if you got a nice bud, you know, uh, you might be able to find a seed or two out of that. And so, you know, and it looked and smelled like so good that, you know, people were, you know, passing that off as, you know, uh, fake or not, uh, indigas yeah. or, uh, sense of million some kind. You know, or you know, yeah, some kind. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but during that same period too, I, you know, I, I remember seeing some, um, some, some, uh, this, there was some golden, uh, the golden eagle tie came in. It was wow. in 89. It was in 1989. Whoa. And it, and it was a very distinctive thing because, um, it had a, uh, it had a, a, you know, each kilo had a, it was wrapped in, you know, in, in, in plastic, but it also had a cellophane. I mean, it was in plastic cellophane, but it had, a paper stamp and it was wow. a, a stamp of an eagle golden eagle and tie. um and yeah and so it was very distinctive and um a friend of mine his friend actually had seen some of the stamps and had wow. had them fra- had them framed and everything and he still has them to this day that's and, wow um, history yeah, but you know the story gets even deeper because I I posted a picture of that stamp, and um, there's a book called Tie Stick Tie Stick Book um, by Mike Ritter, and he documents uh, some of the old old school smuggling from uh, Thailand to America, and you know a lot of it is centered around um the west coast uh san francisco uh portland seattle uh, those ports you know where the, uh, people used to bring in boatloads of tie stick yeah and um santa cruz so <laughs> so uh when i posted this picture he recognized the stamp and he actually uh 
described the actual he knew about the actual load that came across it it originated out of laos and at that point the smuggling operations was got more sophisticated to the point where they were growing so the actual smugglers started to grow set up their own farms up in laos and then they um they grew this particular load it got transported across Laos into Vietnam. Uh, the Vietnam um, military was involved in transporting it, and then they got it um, into, I guess, Seattle, and then it made its way across uh, to New York City. And um, yeah, I was I was shocked when. You know, and he knew he, he knew 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 the actual smuggler, and he knew the whole story about it because he had you know written the book and done the research about um, a few different people that were in the uh, the, the uh, tie stick smuggling uh, game. Wow, wow, what a journey! I mean, it's and it is to this day some of the most uh, notorious bud. Um, and, and people still are, I have, I've had local anonymous on the show. I've had people, uh, growing legally too in the Santa Cruz mountains and Boulder Creek, uh, re, rekindling that connection to, to land race, kind of chasing those, uh, those varieties, those cultivars, those, those, those flavor profiles and experiences that golden eagle tie is, um, the stuff of legends. It's amazing too. The, the the journeys it would we would take, but I, I would like to go from the Chinchon era into the the Ronald. Re- I don't know what you would call that. The post, you know, uh, when when the drug war ramped up and they really stopped those imports, right? And the cocaine kind of flooded the streets, and it was easier to get. I mean, that was a real drought, dry time, and I mean, I, I believe that was kind of a part of a shift too of domestic growing and and becoming as a U.S. more. A self-sufficient cannabis nation because of the Ronald Reagan war on drugs. Yeah, you know, and actually, uh, you know, I was just listening to some of this uh, today, but um, Greg McAllister in the in the Seattle um, people around '84, '85. That's when they started doing their indoor grows. You know, it was. Um, People oh in Portland, yeah. People in Portland, people in Seattle, uh, in that era, era, and it, you know that this when they started doing the Northern Lights and and, and stuff like that. Gotcha. And and so that's what really you know it was a very small pocket that started at the time that didn't really affect uh, other people that in the country, but it, that was the beginning of that. And it was also the beginning of, you know, the era that, that you talk about, 84, 85, because I, I was, uh, you know, when the beginning of the Cheech and Chong, I was really at the end of the Cheech and Chong era, and that was right yeah. when Reagan took over in 1980, and that was, you know, at the beginning of my high school years. And within the first two years, it was just like a free-for-all, and then by 83, 84, you started to see the change, you know. And then um, as soon as he had gotten his second term, um, by 85, that's when they really started, you know, started cracking down on the imports that were coming to the country. And, you know, things um, became uh, scarcer and scarcer, you know, there's not a lot of people out there that can relate to a, a drought, you know. Yeah, so which, true. Which meant that that you couldn't get <laughs> any weed, like you yeah. know, like you know, because back then, like you would get, uh, you know, you get a load of weed in and you would sell it, and you didn't know where the next load was coming from because that particular person, you know, and it wasn't a steady thing. You know, in some cases it was, but in most cases in a smuggling chain, you know, there's, you know, only a certain uh, amount of supply. So, and, you know, when that, and when they get that supply, I'm sure it's scattered all around 
and you know the people that buy it probably only buy a certain amount and so you know sometimes you'd be lucky to maybe get it a second or third time but you know pretty much after that you you know that certain load would be over and you would be on you know on to looking on to something else and you know, and that kind of changed once, you know, I hooked up in, in the city where these guys were pretty much getting stuff on a regular basis. It was, it would always be different, but, you know, they always usually had something. That's it. But, you know, yeah. it came a time, it came a time when they totally ran out and couldn't, couldn't, you know, supply any more stuff. And, you know, I just remember just, you know, just trying to scrape the barrel, smoking, shaking. <laughs> it was tough times. Know, whatever, you, yeah. digging up whatever you, you know, digging up whatever you could get. You know, so there's not, a, you know, so that, you know, so I think that really, you know, when those things happened, that you know, just really um, spurred on the, the more growing movement where people instead of you know trying to import it can't we can just produce it ourselves you know and really when you know the once california you know the the initial medical program kicked off you know which was kind of spurred by you know the aids era and activists and you know know, back then yeah, but well, you know, I think a lot of it was started with the the lady that was making the brownie. Oh, brownie Mary. Given, yeah, brownie yeah, Mary. Yeah, yeah. I think she's that she, amazing. You know, so, right. So that so I think she was one of the first people to start treating um, the patients with um, you know with the brownies, and you know, so that started to, you know started to get recognized, you know, as being helpful, and and so that kind of. You know, started to give the whole man, medical movement momentum, and you know, and they passed. You know, they passed it. You know, and then so once they initially passed that, you know, it kind of opened the door. You know, for the progress that we've made to to, to, to today. Yeah, so true. Yeah, no, and that's been a big part of. Um these conversations on the radio is to, to document, uh, we, we're, we're home of Wham, right? Valley Corral, Mike Corral, uh, you know, Santa Cruz has a big history here too. And even in 1992 as a city, we, uh, we had, uh, laws as a city to provide a medical years before Prop 215 was passed. And we're definitely as a, it's part of the Santa Cruz story is, is, is this connection to compassion and compassionate use and, you know, the doctor's oath of do no harm and, and to ease suffering and cannabis has been a key part of that. And before I jump in there, though, I do want to know, because you, you were around with some of these, I mean, when you talk about that drought before before we came into this era of the medical movement, um, to to be hustling, to be smuggling, and to be also connected um, through a grower, right? Eventually, I know you spend time in, in Central Park and and you met other uh, uh, other people in the park, and, and, and then eventually you did uh, connect with a grower. Um, and, and that's a key piece, too, is to, to provide for the people. You, you know what they want. Um, even to this day, it's, it's, a, it's a balance and an art form um, to, to align with operators and, and, and to grow things that will do well with, the, with, the, you know, with, with what people like, with, with what you like. Um, but eventually in Central Park, you met... Um, the man behind the RFK skunk, Mr. Weasel, can you speak to that and, and that progression? Because it sounds like, um, you know, growers meeting other growers in that uh, in those days um, was a really big deal. Um, and I, I do want to learn a bit about some of these cultivars, like the RFK skunk, and then and maybe even you know the people that were were doing work in meeting and, and you know, having a great time with the Grateful Dead at Wetlands. Yeah, so like in, in 1992, yeah, I was out in Central Park uh, hustling weed and I was able to uh, connect with a grower. And, you know, um, th- you know, to be able to connect with a grower, uh, but back in 1992 was a big deal, you know, because everyone was, you know, looking for exclusives, 
Um, and, you know, even to know someone that, that grew was a, was a big deal, that, that someone that, that had that knowledge. So, um, yeah, I felt very fortunate. And, you know, once I met him, I coveted our friendship. And, you know, I always made things very easy. And I made sure, you know, everything was right. And doing business was was pleasurable. So, you know, uh, he, he liked to, to work with me. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, um, so he basically was grown when I met him, he was, he was grown RFK one, two, and three. And the story behind that was him and a friend went down to, um, RFK stadium to some dead shows and, uh, and they had gotten some skunk bud, kind bud and found some seeds in it and they both split up the seeds and and grew them out and so um that that was you know what he had found out of that out of the out of the one two three and um so shortly after that um after i met him he he went to a fish show and met chem dog uh, yeah. the person and I guess that they, you know, when one grower bumps into another grower, they think that's like a real, you know, you know they finally found <laughs> a, a best friend, someone they can yeah. connect with, someone they can, re- you know, compare Talk notes shop. to. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, because back then, you know, knowledge was very hard to come by. Yeah. You know, so. Pre-internet. You know, there was no internet. <laughs> yeah, there was no internet. There was only the books, you know, there was High Times and then there was, you know, some of the grow books that you could get in the back of High Times. And then maybe there was some, you know, underground bookstores or, you know, very few bookstores, you know, um, handled that kind of material. So um, to find it was, was very difficult. So um, you had to be in the know more or less or know someone that was in the know that turns you on to it. So, you know, they, so yeah, so they, you know, connected and decided to, um, trade clones. So nice. uh, my friend drove up to Massachusetts and they both traded clones. And my friend drove back to New York with, uh, the mass super skunk and the 91, 91 chem. Wow. And that's the one. So, you know, when the 91 chem first hit hit the scene, you know, like people didn't know what it was. And, you know, we, you know, we started, you know, building a relationship and, you know, he was like, oh, you know, we don't have to meet up at the park anymore. We can meet down at Wetlands. You know, they have on Tuesdays, they have this, you know, Grateful Dead night. Yes. And, you know, people, you could smoke down there or whatever. So, you know, we started meeting down there. And then you met AJ uh, there too, right? Yeah, I was just gonna say that's where we that's where we met AJ, and uh, so you know I would be standing there waiting for my friend, and everyone would be like looking at me, you know, waiting for me, and I, you know, and so as soon as my <laughs> friend would walk up, everyone would be like ah, you know, and so you know eventually AJ worked his way into into our little circle. And, and what, so, and for, um, for the audience that doesn't know, I mean, he's the sour, right? The thing with AJ is the sour, or or the underdog, or I was a little confused. No, the sour. No, the, he was he was he was, what you know, uh, he knew the people that found the sour. I see, I see. Right. He said but that straight the, but, for the for the people because they're curious and wondering about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, well, uh, well. This, uh, let me just go back a little bit because yeah. when we were getting the '91, like, and I, we, I remember being down at, um, down there, and I was, I had a joint and I was smoking it, and, and I passed it to someone. And he started smoking, it and he's like, he's like, what is this? What is this? So I'm like, oh, this is chem dog. He's like, what? This is. Grown, this is chemical. Like, this is grown chemical spray. You know, he starts saying all this stuff. He's like, this tripping is not out. Yeah. He started, he started tripping out on it. And so I was like, oh, this is not good for sales. <laughs> and so, so, you know, AJ, 
He used to be like, yo, you got any of that diesel shit? Like, you know, talking about the 91. Yes. And so, you know, so we... Oh, we wow. Changed. It's like a rename. So we, we renamed it to... We started calling it the diesel because, like, the chem dog was, you know, just not... You know, after that person reacted to it that way, we were just like, that's not good. And so we were like, yeah, the diesel, you know, it smells, you know, like diesel, like, like fuel-y and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's where the story of, of the diesel comes from. And so um, there was me and another guy that used to get the 91 chem, and the other guy was from upstate New York. And he had gotten a, a batch of chem dog, and I guess he had found some seeds in it. But prior to that, they they were asking the Weasel, yo, can we get a clone of the 91? And he was like, absolutely not. Right, so when they found those seeds, like, oh, that, you know, and so, you know, eventually, you know, that's where those sour seeds came from. There was, Whoa. you know, the Albany, the Albany crew, uh, they, they were linked to the guy that had gotten that batch of seeded 91. And, you know, they started, they got the seeds, started growing them out. And, you know, the sour, you know, became of it. Uh, it was up in Hunter Mountain and, um, AJ, um, actually moved into the house that the guy that found that that bought that ninety one and found 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 you know the seeds and all that. So he had the original cutting, and so when AJ moved into the house, he gave the sour to AJ. And AJ originally was living down in New York City, and then he moved up into the mountains. And and started growing up in Hunter Mountain, and that's where he got the sour diesel from. Wow! And then he and then he started growing it and bringing it back down to the city, and so that's kind of like what made him uh, famous and affiliated with that's the sour right. diesel. That's right. Was that he was he was like one of the first people to you know start bringing it down to the city, and then when people down in the city saw the sour diesel, they, they just like lost their minds. It, it was just, you know, um, you couldn't pay enough to get it. You know, people were yeah. prepaying to get it before it was even, you know, finished growing. And and so, you know, he would get a batch of it, and you'd be like, oh, depending on how much I get, I don't know how much extra I'm going to have because X amount is already sold, and you know, wow. I may have, you know. A, a Z or two left, though you know, uh, yeah. available or whatever. So, and and even even I had to do the same thing. Like, you know, I'd only get you know, I get maybe like two or three pounds or something, and, and someone would see it and be like, "I'll take it all." And I'd be like, "Oh, hold on." <laughs> and there's other people. I'd be like, "This is." I was like, yeah, "Exactly." I'm like, "Hold on now. I could maybe sell you a quarter pound or a half a pound tops if I like you." You know. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we had to limit the amount of enough stuff because people would go out of the way they do you favors they bring wow, you other silly. other deals be like oh you know you can make money with this and so you everybody wanted it for their head you know yeah so it was the potency it brought it brought a lot of perks it brought a lot of perks. It's, that's uh, that was awesome. I really appreciate that that download. And I mean, one thing I'm wondering is where did that start? Was that a sensi? Because uh, I know you two. I mean, a lot of people. Uh, and I've you know had the privilege. My wife had a. She works for Santa Cruz Shakespeare, and we went on a trip to. She was going to do a big talk in Prague, and I said, okay, you're, you're going to go, and you're going to talk to this Shakespeare, you know, international gathering, but. We have to go to Amsterdam first, you know. That was my little ask because I wanted her to to speak on education and and to go. And so we went, and I, I did have the pleasure of of walking through Amsterdam and and kind of. I mean, it's a very different time now, uh, but but the importance of of, of sensi seeds uh, in these in these you know back back in these days. Um, and I'm curious if that you know the roots of some of these cultivars came from um, sensi seeds. And I know you also bred with the afghan and can you just speak to that back in the day and and you know like because it was so hard to to get good genetics and, and genetics are kind of the foundation of of, of quality herb 
They are the foundation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah. And even you know, preceding, you know, Sensi, you know, you had Neville, you know, and that's really. Oh, yeah. Yes. Where, and that's really where the majority of the good Sensi uh, stuff came from. So, you know, if you precede, you know, and go back to the, you know, Neville, the, you know, the seed bank, and, you know, look at some of the stuff that he was doing. And, you know, he was, you know, back then, um, he was actually going out and, and sourcing a lot of genetics. Yeah, um, he, was, he, he, he Yeah, he was traveling. He was traveling to Afghanistan. He made a trip over. I think he made numerous trips over to the West Coast, to Seattle, to Portland. Um, you know, he hooked up with uh, you know, Seattle Greg. Uh, so I know that uh, Greg uh, gave um, him the NL5 clone. He gave him at least two shipments of seeds. I think he went down to Portland. He picked up the the Big Bud, the hash plant. Um, he was getting stuff from Skunk Man, some of the haze varieties. He was getting yeah, from Skunk Man. Was, so, I mean, the, the guy was... You know, if you do a little bit of research, he was doing. You know, he was he was going around and searching out genetics. You know, so the genetics that he had were, you know, probably you know the best. You know, at the time, and you know, so once, you know, so once you know he once he got tripped up in that, you know, that legally, you know, he wound up in jail i think he got arrested in amsterdam and then drunkers came and bailed him out and i think part of the deal was that he was going to buy him out and so that's exactly what happened drunkers wound up getting uh neville's catalog and Whoa. it became sensi seed bank Whoa! Uh, so that is the root of it, it was neville's personal life's work in a way right and actually neville had the had the cannabis castle uh, originally i think he sold it to the drunkers after that so they the drunkers pretty much picked up everything picked up everything uh that neville had at that time you know he you know that's when he was wanted here in the u.s um, Amps, you know, he was picked up in Amsterdam, but they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't deport him. So, uh, I think they let him out after that. And, you know, that, that warrant just, you know, was, was, uh, out there just for a long time. And he, after that, I don't, uh, his, his travel was limited and stuff. So, um, so once, since he had gotten those genetics, you know that was probably you know, ninety, some somewhere around the ninety ninety one. Um, you know they, you know, once they had those original genetics, and they they sold whatever they had originally from Neville, and then once they started breeding with those genetics, is where um, I feel that it kind of went downhill. Got and it. The, and the original uh, Senti seed packs were like this card in a cellophane. It was like a cellophane pack, and you could, you know, you could do it was like a see-through thing. It was, you know, <laughs> very cheap packaging. But yeah. you know, for back in the day, what, what else are you going to expect? But you now remember, they used to give you like fifteen to sixteen seeds in each pack. And all of those packs were, you know, pretty much, you know, fire packs. And a friend of mine um, was going over there to Amsterdam, and so uh, I wound up giving them like a thousand or twelve hundred dollars. And I was just like, just go to Sensi Seeds and buy, you know, <laughs> those fire packs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, you know, he picked up a, a whole bunch of stuff and. And, and, and brought him back, and so that was, you know, the uh, how I got my um, original Sensi Seed packs, and um, and a friend of mine also, like, uh, and I would say the breeding pretty much, like Sensi pretty much fell off after Jack Carrere, after they wow. they bred, after they won and bred with the Jack Carrere, and I would say that was probably in ninety four, ninety five. 
you know, pretty much everything after that just, you know, went to shit. Uh, They changed their packaging to the box packaging. And I remember my friend... He uh, he went like the year I think that that, that uh, Jack won the cup and everything, and so he he had bought like an original pack of those wow. like you see wow. Jack Carreras. Yeah, and legend. he was and he and he was growing them out, and I was buying the weed, and it was you know it was nice, and I know that those guys were you know it it, it was like a, I think a seventy seven day strain. And, wow. But the thing was just pumping out these huge tops, like the size of like your forearm. Yeah, donkeys. and they were getting like a, yeah, they were getting like a half a pound, a quarter pound of plant, which was huge for them back then. So they were just pumping that stuff out. And after a while, nice. they just flooded the mar over saturated the market. Yeah. I was like, Whoa! I was like, yeah. Yo, I can't sell any more of this stuff. You guys got to kill that. Pro-pot, and yeah. they're like, Oh, that's not. They're like, that's not a problem. We still have the re- the original pack. So I was just, all right, just kill it, you know. And then a couple of years later, I was like, yo, why don't you, you know, pop that pack again? Bring it all like, back. Oh. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, we lost it. Oh, you know I mean? so they, so, yeah. So they lost the pack. And then I was able so you know, at this time, by this time, I was, I started um, selling seeds on IC Mag. And I had some seed credit, and so I used that seed credit to get them a pack of um, Jack Carrera, and it came in the box, and I gave it to him, and he grew it out, and he he showed me, he brought me the product, and I was just like, this is unsellable. Like, oh, no. I mean, it was just so horrible that we had to kill it immediately it was just Didn't i mean oh, it just sad. was not the same. it, it just yeah. was not the same thing that we had bought originally sure and so really after that you know anything after that and that's why i say anything in the box is pretty much crap you know you're gotcha. able to get some of these old cellophane um cord packs those those are the ones to get but you know i was able to get originally some of those uh, and i had gotten some nl5 haze which i had crossed into my nigerian originally and i used the uh the afghan one to cross into the chemd originally so yeah i mean and so you know at that time i you know i always regarded them you know, highly respectable, you know, and uh, so I thought that was, that was the best route to go with. And so my initial out, out most of my initial outcrosses are, were from Sensi Seeds, that is correct. And it was a way to save the clone only, right? That's a key piece to this uh, story, too, is the, the, that, that diesel, that fuel, the chem, uh, even some of these really special things that made such a major name and, and built this palette in, in, in these massive populations, they, they, you, the, people were losing things. Things would go wrong. Electricity, uh, every grow has gone in and the lights are off or, or the AC didn't work and things are cooking. Uh, we, we've all been there. Um, so, you know, you had that intention of trying to preserve preservation, right? And the, and the, you know, that key piece to it, you know, I think that's a really important point uh, to emphasize is that, you know, you, you had that foresight of, of like, hey, if we get beans, we can at least hold on to these key things that are clone only. Even to this day, we have we have issues there. Yeah, that was my initial thoughts, you know, and so. Um, you know, when you're when you're trying to do something like that, you got to try to you know um, you know think about what your what the outcome is, what you're going to do. You know, so when I made those initial selections, you know, I wanted to find something that was similar to what I was growing to, or was or you know was going to breed to, but was not going to be dominant. More or less, just kind of like contributing the male genetic side of it yes and so nice compliment yeah yeah because really you know we had like a bunch of these you know clone only strains that you know have been collected for you know who knows how long and and and, and then you know there was you know a, a small community that was you know starting to build online where 
you know, a person in New York could, you know, send clones to someone into California and vice versa. And so, you know, it opened up this whole, you know, genetic pool of possibilities to people, you know, once you connected with someone that, you know, that was just online and had different stuff that you had and you were interested in, 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 in trading and, um, you know, sharing information and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, my initial, you know, uh, was just to preserve, you know, some of these things that we, we, we were getting and, you know, just in by doing so, you know, I thought by, you know, um, creating my own mail that, you know, that would be a, a perfect way of doing it. And, you know, in doing so, and, and how do you start with something like that? You know, well, you you know, you want to pick out um, a cultivar that is, you know, the very best, the very strongest. You know, so that was really what, you know, I just wanted to um, breed for strength, you know, whatever was the best. So, you know, after yeah. that time, the, you know, the chem dog was the best thing that we had. And that's what I thought that was going to be my, that was going to be my female. And so I wanted to find something that was going to be similar, but not dominant. And so through my research, that's where I came up with the Afghan one selection. And so, yeah, you know, and you know, I did that initial cross, you know, I found some interesting plants, um, that, you know, that were nice, but not as fuely as I wanted to. And then that's where I started to get into the back crossing and trying to, you know, shrink the the genetic pool uh, yeah. surrounding the female yeah. and, and worked it back two more times, you know. And, and so that's what I was going to, that was, you know, once I reached that point, I, you know, I tested the females and I was like, all right, this is sufficient enough. And so that's what I use most, and that's really what I based my, you know, my uh, chem dog uh, line off of was, you know, that initial Afghan chem D crossing. Nice, yeah, what a powerful, powerful foundation genetically, and, and a really great process, a good example to, to kind of build the, you know, to build any foundation is to work the line a bit, and then, and then make your crosses in the. You know, one thing I do want to talk about, we are, this has been flying by. We got like six minutes, five minutes left. But uh, Santa Cruz, we have the Hayes Brothers in South County, and we, we've had some um, friends on the show and speak to, you know, the history of Hayes here and, and Sam Skunk Man. And I know it, it, where you grew up, you know, the Hayes is similar to that, that sour, you know, it's just beloved by, by you know, all these different communities and these you know, massive, um, you know, parts of the, of the city and in those areas. Can you speak to that? You know, the PIF and uh, these different, I know you, you bred a Nigerian haze too. And I, I had a friend reach out to me that is looking at preservation and understanding, you know, cultivars from, from, from different parts of the world and, you know, and different effects that are not just the, you know, that, that fuel, but like that haze kind of profile is, is a bit of a renaissance even here in the Bay, which is kind of, heartening to see something different um but can you speak to that a bit and in, in your history at you know in, encountering hazes on the east coast yeah and um the, the specific um haze you're talking about i believe um came from neville um from some of the information wow. i've nice. gotten it was a colombian haze a, you know colombian land race times nl5 so it, i i I believe uh, you know, that initially probably came from the skunk man. Um, that Colombian haze came from the skunk man. Neville got, got it, it, crossed it into NL5. He never never released it commercially. So I believe that um, there wow. was someone, and maybe Steve Hayes, you know, might have been a part of this, where because I know that he had an apartment that was outside the um, train station. He knew Neville personally, and he he hustled a lot of uh, Neville seeds um, out of his apartment. So if you were in the know, you could actually knock on the guy's door. He would answer it. He told me, "I'm looking for seeds," and he had some of Neville's. Wow. There. Amazing. So, 
So the the story that I got is, you know, uh, yeah, there was a Colombian. Uh, there's, uh, I guess, some um, Dominican or Spanish guys um, came and they acquired some of those seeds, uh, brought them down to Florida, and started growing them there. And then they started uh, bringing, uh, shipping that product up to New York City, up into um, Washington Heights and Upper Manhattan. And actually, those that haze took over a lot of the cocaine and crack spots that used to be up there. So those same guys that used to hustle the the cocaine and crack, you know, after they um, they started busting everyone up there and and you know, cleaning up the streets, a lot of those spots uh, became weed spots. Wow. And I don't think, and so I think they didn't take as much heat because they were selling weed up there. And yeah. So, uh, in the early '90s. Uh, yeah, so that that's when that started taking over up there, and you know it was just something that was just very distinctive. I mean, uh, a haze that is, you know, it, the, the, it's it's same as the A5 haze that's in Amsterdam, and and that's why like you know, the A5 haze and and the black haze are probably the only two uh, last. Um, surviving uh, clones from that club. You know, there might be something else out there that we don't know about, but that's not known about now is that those are the only two uh, varieties from that uh, Colombian NL5 that, that's out there. And it's very distinctive with this pissy, kind of soury um, smell to it. I mean, it's very di- different from your typical uh, Thai haze. Uh, so, and, or like the yeah, or the soma haze, which yep. is kind of a tie haze, but that more orange citrusy kind of a tie. So actually, there was a couple different varieties of of tie hazes that were used. Um, that that I think they all well, they all originated from Skunk Man, and some of them came through Neville. Hey, JJ, we're at the last, like, 30 seconds, and I just want to say it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show, and, and we really appreciate you sharing so much, and um, I want to give you the last word, but uh, it's been it's so great to link with you, and, and this was a, a real nice nice conversation, and much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and, and thank you for continuing to, to educate and, and to do what you do and grow and steward this plan. We we appreciate you and, and all of you listening. Santa Cruz, stay up. I hope you enjoyed this. We'll, we'll, we'll continue this conversation every Friday on the Cannabis Connection. Stay up. Have a beautiful weekend. And our prayers go out to everyone with the wildfires at Caldor. We love you, El Dorado County. Hey.